Hi, my name is Ajne Dawkins, and I recently learned that I am a slow burn book lover. That is what ties the romance books I love together. That's the that's the consistent thread. When they don't touch hands till page three hundred and fifty two, <laughs> and I gasp when their fingers brush in the hallway <laughs> every time. Oh, I love that for you, best. <laughs> I'm Brittany Rogers, and I'm really wishing that we could just skip over fall and go straight to Christmas. I know that this is not the popular... (laughs) I know this is not the popular viewpoint, but Christmas is my next favorite thing. I could really do without the pumpkins and the spices. You know what? Knowing what I know about you, that makes complete sense. (laughs) Ooh, we could just leap over all of that. I'm... I'm the opposite. I'm trying to ride. I'm trying to ride the high of Thanksgiving through and then go from that to Easter. I know. It's okay. Your Christmas cheer will. (laughs) It really does carry me through that holiday season. You know, Christmas is not my holiday. And I don't have to feel bad because Jesus was not born on that day. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a. (laughs) It was all made up. It's okay. I have enough Christmas holiday cheer for the both of us. Thank you. I got you. I'll hold us down for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> oh, we sh- okay. We're your host reverses. The, the podcast, podcast where poets confront the ideas. ideas that move them. Jinx, you owe me a soda. <laughs> Not I owe you a <laughs> best what's a <the> soda. <laughs> That's how the saying goes. You never heard Jinx, you owe me a pop. I've never heard either. I've just heard Jinx. You've never heard that? No. Jinx, you owe me a soda? No. Will you say something at the same time? I can't believe. Okay. So if you are listening, (laughs) this is vital information. This is a very official scientific poll and survey. If you could just let us know if you've heard the saying, Jinx, you owe me a soda. I have to know. I have to know too, because I've only ever heard Jinx. I'm fascinated. Wow. Okay. Today, we get the absolute honor of interviewing Willie Lee Kennard III. And we talked about queerness and gospel music and their collection as a fugue. So, yeah, it's, it's a good time. A great time, I dare say. Before we hop into it, Bess, can I ask you... A question. Of course. Who is a musical artist that you feel really moved by? Etta James, because I love, adore a ballad. The only thing I adore more than ballads are hymns. And I just feel like her voice is so, has such a signature sound. Like I know an Etta James song anywhere. Her album at last is like what I put on when I want to feel soothed. (laughs) Mm. So like, I don't know. I just feel like. She's her music makes me feel such a range of emotions that I think that's probably my truest answer. As soon as you said that, best, I like immediately went back to watching you walk down the aisle. Oh, to at last. <laughs> not I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, core memory seared. I could not listen or when I tell you. I damn near disrupted the the wedding. I was crying so loud. <laughs> I was, I was. It was not like the cute. Everybody is- else had the single cute tear. I was blubbering. It was embarrassing. But Brittany was so beautiful, and she came out to "At Last" by Etta James, and I lost it. I absolutely lost it. Oh, Etta James is that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my heart. That makes sense. What about you, Bess? Part of me wants to say this is a hard question, but it's really not. It's really not. I don't know why I'm playing. We know the vibes. We need Houston. <laughs> um, I was like, I don't even know who's deliberating over. <laughs> I was over here going through all of the different people who make me feel moved for different reasons. It's Whitney Houston. I am in love always with Whitney's discography. I'm in love always with Whitney's story. I'm in love always with the fact that she was and remained deeply a church girl and how that 
for better or worse, some days impacted her life. Whitney Houston is one of those folks who I can't even think about her too long or I will start weeping. I can't even think about the trajectory of her life, of her music. See, there I go. <laughs> Pull it together. <laughs> I, I can't. I know I'm trying. I can't think about it too long. I, I was going to say you close to tears. So <laughs> now was a great time to introduce <laughs> our lovely guest <laughs> for today's episode. <laughs> Willie Lee Kennard III is a Black non-binary poet, designer, educator, and musician forged in Newberry, South Carolina, and the author of Orders of Service, winner of the 2022 Alice James Award. Their written work appears or will soon in Obsidian, Poem A Day, Best New Poets 2022, The Rumpus, and Elsewhere. A 2023 Ruth Lilly and Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg Poetry Fellow and a Fellow of the Watering Hole. Let's get into this episode. Willie, would you please, please do the honor of opening us with a poem? For sure, for sure. I think I'm going to start with a little bit of magic. This is forthcoming in issue nine of Oversound, also forthcoming in my debut, Orders of Service, Spell. I lost the fourth grade spelling bee on the word assign. As such, I circled in rebellion against notions of power every day since. I was warned no magic could stop the ways in which little things would undo me. I scoffed and felt the sound itch in my ears. Scratch how 45s caught in the jukebox Ma retires to the den spiral in their filth before arresting the throat of a needle mid-groove. It dizzied me, stirred the bits of my making the way lint emerges at the sunset of a dust bunny surrendering to be once again a collective of forms. They're not even big, I said of their size. The truths of plurality winding over my head, shifting from dust to vulture flies, eyeing the rot of my humility with grave diggers' patience. Off the record, it spins like this. A slew of rivals, a sob, a choke, a chop down, a corkscrew of buzzard laughter, unstoppering, a flood of tears, longing to spew hot against my cheeks. I am humbled, idling against the slow twitch of my dying pride, looking my maker in their blooded beak, the flush of shame glinting red in each multi-eye. I blink, watch my kaleidoscoping spiral. I know, I know what this is supposed to be. Know the less lettered revolutions of tiny certainties in full. They belch. I cough. Conjure up the word. Refuse. Slowly round it out. Like death. Willie, the way you had me hanging on every single word of that poem, like all that action, just I was like, okay, what happens next? What happens next? What happens next? That was amazing. Thank you. It is weird. I feel like 
sometimes I'm just a vessel for the poems to come through. But I don't know. This was one of the weirdest ones that kind of happened. You know what that makes me think of? And I feel like I talk about it all the time. But in Bell Hooks, Remembered Rapture, she talks about the work that we force ourselves to write versus like the work that arrives to us and like how we don't take the spiritual work and the spiritual labor of the poem seriously. But there's the thing that happens, right? Where you sit down and like the voices begin to arrive to you. And when you say you feel like the vessel, that's what that made me think of. And there's a very spiritual undercurrent and tenor to so much of your work that I feel like I'm in that moment of the work arriving. I feel like I'm in that shifted metaphysical space that happens that moment that is really difficult to describe when the poem arrives to your body. And so it was just, yeah, it was just like a luxurious and spiritual experience to hear you read that. Well, you're going to make me cry. Like you're going to make me really cry. <laughs> um, Versus is for lovers. <laughs> it's real tender over here if you don't already know. So <laughs> that means we're starting off on our usual foot. I'm with it. I'm with it. <laughs> I'm romantic anyway. We are too. Uh, we. Romance is a very big thing over here. We love a good platonic romance and a romance romance. Yes. All of the things. Willie, before we get into too much tenderness, what's moving you these days? I think the wonder of flowers, honestly. Mm. I've been growing a lot of flowers over the last year or so and tending to houseplants. I think it's a thing from childhood and it's been keeping me steady and keeping me grounded. I'd say that and dualities, I guess. I've been thinking a lot about like double speak and like a ways of like maximalizing, if that can be a word or a verb, I'm going to make it a verb today. I'm maximizing <laughs> language, especially when you think about the economy of it, which I find, I don't know. I find it a little interesting. I've been thinking a lot about inheritance and a lot about what as a like a black southern person out of Carolina, what am I gifted in language and what do I have to take or use or borrow? So yeah, I've been moved by a lot of bits of language sprouting, nature, country shit, I guess. <laughs> we love those vibes. So I wanna get to all of that because it's on brand <laughs> and I love the vibes. And I felt so much of that in in your book and was fascinated by it. But I want to double back to what you just said about doublespeak and maximalism in your language. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if you could talk a bit more about how that showed up in Order of Service or just how that shows up for you in general. I think about the ways in which we heard advice of things when I was younger. And I think I've been teaching my students a lot about proverbs, but... I use it as like a basis for a lot of language. And so I think about the superstitious things that get told to you. you don't split a pole, don't step on a crack. When I was younger, my grandma would always say, don't step over anybody. And if you do, make sure you step backwards over them as a sign of respect, but also in part so you don't like take their luck. And so I've been thinking a lot about how folk culture kind of shows up in language, like how it means a couple of things at the same time sometimes. So things like that, things like wives' tales, the ways in which you can pack a sentence without saying a lot. I don't know. I've been thinking about things like that. It was a phrase used to describe like queerness, but it wasn't technically to describe queerness. In men or male-bodied folk, when I was younger, they would use the word particular. And so you kind of know what it means. It's like potentially sensitive, potentially like easily disruptive, irritable, things of the sort. It alludes to femininity and other things that I guess are like generally concerned with being not ideal, 
quote unquote for a man or what is viewed as a man. And so I've been thinking about like things like that. Like how can you say things without saying them? How can you get something across without saying them? And so I kind of like being slick <laughs> and that's kind of <laughs> how that moves for me. Like how can I be slick enough to be like, did you hear him say that? you like, did you catch that? I love that. So that use of economy, but also taking up so much space. Because if you know what that phrase means, then you know all the connotations and the hidden meanings up under it. That you just, who was particularly, you just unlocked a memory. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm also thinking about the way that doublespeak lets people almost hide their true intentions or avoid the accountability of malice. Because when there is such economy use and there is such double speak in the space in that way, mm-hmm. it's easy to shift away from what might have actually been meant by that use of language. I like that you said that I kind of like that attentiveness, that possibility. And I think sometimes I found that Sometimes like that kind of double speak allows for more options to manipulate language, which for, I guess, marginalized folk, that might be a little bit of a way to regain some power, I guess. Like you might not be able to have a lot, but you can say some things. And if you know some words, you can string some words together to get somebody off your back, maybe. Yes, because I'm also thinking about that with the social value in Black culture of being quick and witty and having having that response. Yeah, I appreciate that. If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Listen, I was always the one who didn't think of my response until three (laughs) days later. I'm still at one. (laughs) Be be in the shower days later, like, and if if he ever say it again... (laughs) It's okay. This is what I'm going to say. It's all right. I feel like we all got to have an Issa Rae (laughs) Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl moment where we're in the mirror and it's like, you know what? If this ever comes a time where I meet this person, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that. That's me. I don't know if you've seen the video of the girl rapping and she's in the rap battle, but she's messing up. So she's like, ah, 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 fuck. That's me. (laughs) And she just turns around because she loses it. It's so unfortunate. Oh my god! They have us for the best of this. Uh, okay. So I have a question, just in follow up to that. Something that uh, I want to ask is: Are there ways that queerness or the erotic shape the craft choices in this collection? Oh, definitely. I think. In part, the erotic is the canvas. And so, like, everything is set against, like, that type of tension. And I say that to say queerness is often viewed as set against that type of tension. And so I use it as a a way to push against your expectations as a reader. I ain't gonna lie, mind fucking somebody. Like, getting you a little disoriented. Honestly, being all up in your mind. I think about how you as a reader are going to interpret like a certain type of word. So I sometimes will like use verbs that'll make you feel like one way while completely contradicting what like this poet might be like leading you towards. I don't know. I kind of used that as a motif often throughout the book. If you automatically think of sex, when you think of queer people, what does that say about you? Then are you crafting when you like look into a mirror about a queer person? If you think of demons, like demons or like folks that need to be exercised, and you get that, what does that then say about you? I don't necessarily care as much as like folks' perceptions because I've heard it all, been called everything but a child of God by everybody, including children of God. <laughs> And so like a lot of the poems are building out of that darkness. It's kind of like, think of the most chaotic thing that you can think of and more than likely a queer person is at the center of that. And so then against that, I try to use languages like brushstrokes to paint maybe a silhouette or an outline for them. 
for the things that like we're curious about or that I've been curious about. Really, that's stunning. From the opening of the erotic as the canvas. I appreciate so much of that answer. And I appreciate it reading and seeing myself in a queer baby who grew up in the church. And so the slick comments that people would make or like the slick assumptions that would come out. And so I appreciate the way that you're framing language and the way that you're using language as like a mirror to her mind. The mirror of your language made me think of the fact that the things that people say are projections and have very little to do with me and everything to do with them. So mm-hmm. I appreciated that as a reader of this collection. Thank you. I'm glad like that has been translating. I feel like it's been while that could be in like high literary art and kind of starting that just a couple years ago and like now being able to hear queer folks that I respect say that like it means a lot because we don't really hear folks like doing that from here so I feel like every time I like get a chance to like give folks to read some words of mine that's a blessing my heart so in addition to language there was just so much music in your collection I was thrilled, like, from the sonics to the wordplay, some of the borrowed lines, some of the titles, even, like, some of the direct references, like, to choirs and things like that. Mm. And it made me wonder about your history with music and if you'd be open to talking about it. Sure. I will be 31 in a couple weeks. And so I think I've been singing for about the last 17 years. And so I kind of started in church or something around church, joined a gospel choir that was like a bit of a show choir of sorts. They performed. It was something that one of my friends was in. And I was definitely like, you know what? I want to sing. I want to do that. I realized that there wasn't a choir program at our school. So this was extracurricular. So I really wanted to get a chance to start something. So I started singing tenor in a gospel choir at 15. And I sang in some form or fashion all throughout high school. I joined community choir after high school. I joined a collegiate gospel ensemble. I ended up directing that at some point in time. I was a bit of an indie recording artist with a group of sorts. I did some background vocals for some folks. And right after I graduated undergrad, my grandma passed. And I didn't know what the hell to do with myself. I was depressed. I broken up with my then boyfriend. (laughs) And I had just lost like one of the biggest figures of my life. So I really wanted to find something to ground myself in. So at my mom's church in the country, I went with her to choir practice one day and they asked me to help arrange some things. I had sung with this choir a little bit when I was a kid. And so I was just kind of like in the pews because I didn't really care about it. I had like some issues with it in the past, <laughs> but I shifted some things after they asked me and we changed keys so that they could sing a little higher and they all sounded better. Not too long after that, I ended up like directing and running rehearsals and stuff for the choirs at my grandma's church. And I kind of came to some disagreements, some that were cool, some that were uh, downright disrespectful with some of the leadership and the pastor there. And this wasn't like anything that I could stop or had I had done. My family had been in this church for generations. Like my grandmother's grandfather had helped build it. Uh, She had went to school in like the one room, like school that was like in the (laughs) thirties for it. And so I don't know, like I felt like I was only there at the time for the music I had done a bit of church hopping while I was in college and my relationship, I think with like my faith was secure, but I didn't feel like I needed to worship there. And so they felt like 
if they couldn't stop me from uh, expressing myself through empowering the choir, they would attack the choir. And so the choir got attacked and got talked about in every sermon on and off for like months and were prevented from fundraising, were prevented from singing or abused in singing. I had a senior choir, like 15 women, 50 plus, though this being my grandma at 80. And at the time, I was trying to get them stamina. I know you have a lot of music to sing. We are an AME church. It's a lot of songs. <laughs> I realized at that time, like there was a lot of things that were being like challenged, and one of them was my queerness. And so one of the things that I kind of always questioned was what does my personhood have to do with my service to both this art as well as this building and organization? And when we couldn't come to terms with that, I left, as did my family, and we did not go back. And so some of the poems that emerged kind of recount some of the ways, I guess, work and the receipts of it kind of impacted my life in that regard. Some set to music, some set to silence. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. How do you, if it's okay for me to ask, how do you cultivate your connection with music now? I think about what it's given me, like inspiration. It's given me poetry. It's given me curiosity and wonder and like goals. Like I sing now and I've been singing for years. And I will say just now I am at the best that I have ever been able to sing. But I will say that it's weird in part because I care less about like being able to. <laughs> I've just kind of been like opening up myself like to remembering like what I come to music for. I come to music for expression. I come to music to release. I come to music to emote. I come to music to praise if I feel like it. And like no person can change how I feel about that because how I come to music is original and it's my own. My personal history is so weird. My first words were, well, there it is. It's kind of been all up and through my life. It's kind of like a life force. Like I started there and I love it because I don't know if I could have went to school for anything, I would have went to school for like black classical music, which I think is gospel and church music. Come like, on. It, it's, it's, it is me and it ain't necessarily something that they can take because they didn't give it. Willie, I remember my first time hearing you sing and it was on an Instagram video that you posted. It was around Easter time and you did a melody. Would you did you merge like three songs? I did. Yeah, I remember I, that. I <laughs> Listen, I haven't I listened remember. to it. Be clear, I haven't I likely have not listened to this or gone back to listen to this a year. So for you to understand the impact that this thing had on me through Instagram. Only other person who had me watching their stuff for real through Instagram was Beyonce because I was watching the <laughs> LA show through Instagram. So just for context, like that is how much this is seared into my brain. Like I remember scrolling my Instagram feed and being like, oh, how cute Willie did a melody play. And I was on the floor. I think I was in a prayer closet, like weeping. <laughs> you laughing, I'm being so serious. I was like, oh, I had no clue. Mm. I say all of that to say that hearing you talk about your relationship to music, the places that it came out of, the difficulties with the church, and then thinking about my first encounter with hearing your voice in that capacity. I'm just really honored to hear that process because you have a beautiful voice. Alternate, you're going to make me cry. Like, it's already Mercury retrograde. I cannot. <laughs> but thank you. Loki, I've been very, I don't know thank if it's you. just 
to it, maybe it's the micro braid situation because I don't know if what it is, but I've been very weepy since we got on this thing because I'm like, Willie, you have no clue how much I love you. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm so excited to be hearing you talk through process excitement, a genuine excitement to be hearing you talk through your love for different things in craft. Yeah, that is is stirring something in me. Who child? Let me let me look at these say, questions. Cut it out. <laughs> you know how I am. I'm emotional. I was excited to hear you talk about your relationship to now gardening and growing these flowers. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about in your book, these moments of nature, these moments in these image systems and just different elements of nature coming up. And I'm curious, mm-hmm. as a Southern writer, can you talk about your relationship to the land and how that shaped your creative practice? Ooh, I can. I will be honest. I I don't think I like developed a real like appreciation of nature until my late twenties, which is to say like last year. <laughs> um I grew up in a rural town. My grandma lived in the country and me and my cousin spent like a lot of time outside. <laughs> they don't want you inside messing up stuff, so you stayed outside when you could if it wasn't too hot. We played Red Roper, we played Hopscotch, we played baseball, we played basketball, we played like tackle football with no helmets. Like we had dirt bike races. We had big wheel races before we could ride dirt bikes on gravel roads and things of the sorts. I don't know. I think often so much of like nature for me is kind of natural as well as like the easiest way for me to kind of meditate. My existence is only one of multiple. I write or attempt to write to, I don't know, be curious and maybe complicate like ideas of the pastoral and like black people showing up in pastoral, which is to say like sometimes we're not in the woods. We're not on a mountain. We're not near a river, but there may be bugs. There may be snakes. There may be other things that can take our attention to remember like that urbanization as a process and that like we can kind of move counter to that. And so I kind of write about nature in like ways that is like real to me, ways that it applies. Like I still got a car. I still got to like make sure that like eventually my tires don't become bald from like all the bad roads in South Carolina. <laughs> I still got to watch out for the deer. I still got to potentially wonder whether or not like I'm interrupting the deer's like playtime. Or like just maybe it's on this morning or evening routine. I'm a country poet, so I think writing about countryness just feels like writing about the everyday for me sometimes. And so nature kind of feels like a a natural element of like that is a stage. It's kind of what we're about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I try to make it sound slick, at least a little bit though. <laughs> <laughs> It does. I'm not gone. We can't lie to you. So can you let the folks know what day they can expect Order of Service to be released? Orders of Service is going to be released Tuesday, November 14th, 2023. Via Alice James Books. I'm hella excited. Make sure you tell a friend to go buy it. Shameless plug, shameless plug. Look, I already got my copy pre-ordered. It's ready, so <laughs> I don't tell them to go buy it. What's something that you hope people are going to see or wonder about in this collection? I hope the word fugue is not something that will turn you away. I hope you kind of embrace the duality or the multiplicity or like the polyphony that you experience in it and understand that you are not like losing your mind it is all intentional <laughs> can you let listeners know just for clarity's sake refer to fugue what are you referring to so a fugue f-u-g-u-e 
is a musical form. It's kind of like a contrapuntal that is built off of a concept that's repeated throughout a longer body of work. In music, it could be like a little bit of a riff. And so you kind of hear that riff in harmonies, in inversions, in modulations throughout like a longer set of pieces. And so as more time goes on, more things kind of get added. Ironically, it's also a word for a psychological state that kind of talks about dissociation. And so simultaneously, uh, you may feel that the music may not just be an element or an ornament, but may also be a vehicle for escape or for further exploration. This to say, let the book or let yourselves prepare to be taken to church by that book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Period. You're going to go through. I'm sorry. <laughs> it took me through. They I'm ain't sorry. Lying. <laughs> they ain't, they ain't lying. lying at all. <laughs> I went through. Okay. <laughs> all right. I just, I want to make sure that I have this right in the musical sense because I'm actually really fascinated <laughs> mm-hmm. by this concept. Mm-hmm. So, you might have to give me an example of it in the musical world. Is it like the way like Nicki Minaj had all these bitches as my sons, but like multiple variations of that through her entire discography? Or am I interpreting this wrong? Is that you in the musical you're world? You're not fully wrong, but usually this is like in one body of work. Um. And so think about it as like either in one body of work or in like one work of art. So if a song is like six minutes, And it has like the central idea that like might be kind of like started or begun this melody and it's kind of repeated a couple of times. The easiest way to kind of think about it is think about um, Ricky Dillard and the way he kind of has his choirs go back and forth and like multiple parts kind of moving around at the same time and where everybody Mm -hmm. has a part that's kind of like circulating. That's a fugue. Think even more simply. Think about the song, Stephen Hurd's Hallelujah, Salvation, and Glory. You know that part where like all the different parts like start to collect like that. All praises be to the King of Kings. Don't get me started on this podcast, Billy. (laughs) (laughs) They don't know because I can't harmonize. Oh my God. God never gave me that ministry. I would have had you though in another life. (laughs) But like that type of layering could be considered a fugue. And so if you were to carry that type of layering across like a body of work or like, say if like most immediately, say if Beyonce had like something that kind of kept appearing throughout like all the Renaissance and like you just came to expect it by the middle of the song and just kind of, oh my God, how she's going to incorporate it now? That would be a fugue. Got it. I'm here. I'm eye to eye. I'm also... Just so you know, I'm still channeling you referencing gospel music as the as black classical music because mm-hmm. I'm never gonna look at it the same. I'm like, that's the language, but I digress. Shout out to Twitter for providing me with that. If I ever find that in a reference, please somebody <laughs> correct me for it. But I definitely saw that in a tweet and I thought it was spot on. Say less, I'm gonna look for the tweet. Uh before we move on to playing our game, we have one more question for you, which we ask every guest on the show, which is if you had three people, don't matter the genre, but three people in any genre, and I do mean no matter what they do, okay, if they build cars, whatever it is they do, who we had to understand their work and what they do in order to understand you as an artist, who would those three people be? Ooh. Y'all trying to hurt me immediately. Oh, I can't narrow it down to like three people. I got four, but okay, I'll do three. A writer, Aileen Harris, author of the Invisible Life series, May You Rest, uh, and so many others. For the love, for the romance. God, for the romance. Period. Immediately, yes. For like the vocab, for like the collaborations, for always being like a tiny bit ratchet but like with all the like the accolades to kind of be able to talk her shit as well as like do things in the rafters 
uh, vocally. And I'd say probably Kirk Franklin. Come on. Probably Kirk Franklin, which is frustrating for like a multitude of reasons. But <laughs> I, think, I think in the purest sense of it, for being a composer and attempting things in multiple expressions of the genre. Yeah. If I had like a fourth like guest person, it would definitely be like three stacks. So like three stacks. So like yeah, <laughs> baby. But yeah, that's my heart. I love that set. That that trio is perfect. It is. <laughs> it's chef's kisses. <laughs> It'd be a hell of a dinner party. Listen. Okay, so now we're going to play a game called This Versus That, in which okay. we give you two things, two categories, right? And you're going to tell us which one of them you feel like would win in a fight. Okay. So if it was to come down to it and they had to throw hands, you get to tell us which one you feel like would come out as I got you. I got you. I got you. Okay. So for your This Versus That, we have in one corner... Folktales. Weighing in it, we don't know how much. <laughs> and in the other corner, we have the choir. The choir. Always choir. Okay, tell me why. That was so I was <laughs> That was a quick and confident answer. Folktales are folktales, but folktales are also tales of the folk. That means people need mm-hmm. to make them. So the folks always make up the choir. The choir both sings and they make folktales. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I like that math. I'm not even going to. said, does one plus one equal two or not? Okay. I support it. I support it. The choir wins. Okay. <laughs> I'm processing your math in my head, but I'm like, okay, I, I, I see it. I, I, tend, I tend to be blunt, my bad. <laughs> no, it's no, good. It. Me and Brittany ain't that good at math, so we just need <laughs> I would have been going in circles about this, but <laughs> which folk tale has the most wisdom? <laughs> versus which, <laughs> which choir song has the most? I would have been going around in circles. Oh, man. Okay, beautiful. That's great because you won the game, which mm-hmm. means we won the game, which means we get to hear another poem from you. Okay, okay. <laughs> I've been thinking a little bit about herbs. A lot. And so this is kind of an ode to Bayleaf. Yeah, if you know what they be in. This is originally in issue 48.2 of Obsidian, the gender queer, genre queer, playground special issue. It is called Cheddar. In New World Prosperity Rituals, coin clattered pleasantries. Rust bottoms of mint markets. And while I don't know many big prayers, my love, I've made some from scratch. Eased my focus's wordy needle, laid my worries flat on their back. Gingerly rooted my focus in flesh colored doilies, counter clock lacing vines, a simp sating. Promises. I don't make idle threats, but I'll spit what I know. Glamours can eat a man, but say we aren't men tonight, love. What then shall we be? Shellfish, bays, greens of bitter oaks needed into needing. How I seem to need much less these days. My pestle of tongue. Silvering contents as bites of abundance. You, gently salted, sugared, brown. What a luxury. What a shame to not be us. Our dusted laurels evergreening near our work clothes. Our focuses, curdling shadows beside our play clothes, souring as your candle of choice, some sort of pear, a tree-blanched fret 
sharper chiffon. The strain of our ligature cut into new opulence. So, say we are men tonight. What's richer than us? The spill of satisfaction from currents of a plea. The cloth of our forms in manifold witness. Of course we are strong. And won't we be beaming? And ain't no word for that type of cheese. I'm begging you. Who are the fuck out that for? <laughs> I love y'all. I love y'all. I love you. <laughs> Listener, you're not on this call so you couldn't see me. I had to hold myself. Because I couldn't be lonely during that poem. Oh my gosh. Willie, thank you so much. Thank y'all for having me. I enjoyed this so much. We have enjoyed you. You, This has been amazing. I love y'all so much. Thank you. Thank you. We love you. We love you back. Best I'm emotional. (laughs) I know, but you stay emotional. I I did start emotional. I did start emotional this episode. I'm not going to hold you from jump. It might be a tender season in my life. And that's okay. I'm I'm gonna hold you through that. <laughs> and Willie is brilliant, so it's it, Willie was worth all the tenderness. Listen, Willie gonna bring it out of me every time. I'm stuck on so much of what he said. Um, I think one of the things I'm really grateful for about Willie's mind and their approach to art is that I feel like I see sometimes a poem differently because of the way Willie talks about it. Like I see layers and possibilities and worlds and other artistic structures and forms that I might not have attributed to the work beforehand. And it maybe makes me want to approach the page bringing in more tools than I thought were possible for the sake of a poem. Like I know what tools I have for a poem, that I can use, but it makes me want to pull from more more areas of or more parts of my background as a creator in order to make the poem or imagine what the poem could be. And I'm just really grateful. I'm just really grateful for their mind. Yeah, because the music in those poems, best. Listen, I wasn't even halfway through that collection, and I was like, "Oh, this is a trained musician. Yeah, this is not somebody who dibbles and dabbles because you can see it all in the work." And like you mentioned, I think the world building is so expansive that I'm like, I enter that collection and I am fully submersed. Yeah, and that was beautiful. That was a beautiful feeling. Okay, best. As it stands right now. Out of everything in your toolbox, what is your favorite stylistic choice to use in a poem? Kiddings are definitely going to be one of my favorites. I love to make a word. I love to make a word out of two words that existed before. It just, it thrills me. It gives me a little bit of... <laughs> a little bit of dip on your chip. Yes. I absolutely love it. I think, I don't know. I think more people should be inventing words with Kiddings. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. What about you, best? I love to end a poem. I was just about some... to say, you go, you go. I know what it is. I was trying to try to figure out how to describe it. If and Don't that's call how, me out. If, if and that's how you clear a bitch was in, the, in like an encyclopedia. One of Britney's poem endings would be the picture next to it. I can't see you. <laughs> I like to end the poem on a bang, on a little razzle dazzle. And do. <laughs> oh, that's that's funny. Not the mutual call out. Listen, <laughs> what's so funny about it too? That's such a metaphor for everything you like. Brittany believe in finishes strong, y'all. Like, <laughs> I promise you. I do not deserve this dragon. <laughs> she I she does. She believes in it. I kid you not. Look, sometimes you just gotta stand on it, okay? <laughs> If I'm not going to do shit else, I'm going to stand on what I said. <laughs> stand on it. <that>. Listen. <laughs> uh, my heart. Okay, I love this. Bess, is there anybody you want to thank today? I want to thank Fantasia for her version of Total Praise. Mm, you sent that to we- me. <laughs> 
we talked about gospel so much today, and that is her rendition is one that immediately moves me to tears. I mean, girl is not even <laughs> through the first note, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm weeping on the floor. So for that genius, Fantasia Barino, you are that one. I'm about to pull that up and play that as soon as we get off here. Stop playing with me. <laughs> what about you, Bess? Who are you going to thank today? I am going to thank our Water and Coal cohort from Yay! 2019. Gang, part of the reason... I'm y'all know I be tender all the time, but part of the reason I was extra tender this episode is because I really get to watch folks grow in their work and build projects and do all this stuff. So me, Brittany, and Willie were in this watering hole cohort in 2019 to develop along with IS Jones yes and Shakur mm-hmm. and Danielle Tutsi Wasson yes it was a it was it was amazing so thank y'all for watching y'all grow and flourish and thrive and be writers does something for me that's part of why I don't know that's part of why I was so emotional this episode and I'm just really grateful for I'm grateful for all of the writers that I've gotten to know over the years and to like learn from their brilliance. Yeah. So thank y'all. Oh. And from not 2019, y'all know I always got to shout out Group C. Group oh C God. if you're listening. <laughs> group, C. group C. Okay. Let's say our thank yous <laughs> and get out of here. We would love to thank our guests, Willie Tenard III. The Poetry Foundation, Itzel Blancas, Adami Noriega, Sen Pim, Elon Sloan, and Umbi Productions. If you check our show notes or our Twitter page at BS the Podcast, you will find additional resources and a writing prompt to complement this episode. In the meantime, please rate and subscribe wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Until next time, bye. bye.